Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Our text today is taken from the reading we heard in the Gospel of Mark. You may be seated. And we begin with the word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning glad to hear your word, for we come in the midst of lives filled with trials, tests, and temptations. And Lord, we pray today that as we hear your word, you would confirm us in our faith and strengthen us to trust in you. To this end, grant us your Holy Spirit that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and redeemer, in Jesus' name, amen. How's that for a nice challenging group of texts for us here this morning? First, we have Abraham being tempted, not tempted, I should say. Well, that just ruined the whole sermon, actually. Uh, we have Abraham being tested by God, being called to take up his son, his one and only son, and sacrifice him on a mountain. And then from there, we go to the gospel where Jesus is taken by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. There's a lot of testing and temptation going on here today, so that as a pastor, and I see these difficult texts, I'm almost tempted to just ignore them entirely and focus on the epistle reading. But then, when we go to James, James does for us what he always does for us and seems to make matters only more complicated. This is what he says. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Now let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil. And he himself tempts no one. That makes sense. That's easy enough, right? God tempts no one. Piece of cake. We all agree with that. We get it. And then he goes to Abraham and tells him, I want you to commit child sacrifice by taking Isaac to the mountain." And then the Spirit, God, the Holy Spirit, is the one leading Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted. And we're all confused. Well, maybe not you, but I am, and I'm hoping to bring you into my confusion so we can all be in this thing together today. There's strange stuff going on here. But I think what James does for us today that is actually really quite helpful is that he gives us certain categories that we can work with. James talks to us about a time of trial, of testing, and then also of temptation. And we want to make sure we draw a distinction between temptations and tests. God tests us. He will test our faith. But the goal or the aim of those tests is to strengthen us in our faith. It's to draw us closer to Jesus. It's to drive us to prayer. It's to bring us to church, to gather for the sacrament. When God tests us, he's using those tests to teach us to long for him, to draw closer to him in his word. Temptation, on the other hand, comes from the devil. And this is the time when the devil comes and he seeks to attack our faith, to ruin our faith, to turn us away from God and prayer and the word and sacrament, to turn us away from those things into something else. God tests us to fortify our faith, and the devil tempts us to ruin our faith. Okay, nice, easy enough, clean distinction, very helpful, and it's a nice distinction to have. But when the trial comes, how do you know which one it is? How can you tell the difference? Because sometimes it doesn't seem all that easy. It's one thing in your mind to know the distinction between trials or tests and temptations. 
It's another thing to be facing a severe trial and you begin to wonder, what's going on here? Is God, tempting, is God testing me or is the devil, the devil tempting me? Is Pastor twisting all of his words up today to make it worse for us? I don't know. Could it be that in this trial both are happening at the same time? Let's take a step back. Here's how I think we want to think about these trials that come our way. You need to understand that when it comes to our relationship with God, it begins on the basis of a promise. A promise that was made to you in the water of your baptism. There the Lord God came to you and he said, Jesus Christ has died for you. He has forgiven you all of your sins. He has promised you everlasting life. You are now a child of God, as we sang at the beginning of the service today. God's own child, I gladly say. God calls you his child in the waters of baptism. And it's a wonderful thing, and it's true. And as soon as that promise comes, that promise is under attack. And your faith is under attack. Right after the promise arrives, right after the word is proclaimed, the devil is always there questioning God's word, trying to draw you away from God's word. We, we know this already if we go back to the Garden of Eden. God makes his promise, he gives this gift, and as soon as he does this, the devil shows up and says, did God really say? Do you think God really meant it? Do you really think you are his child? Do you really think he wants you to follow him? Do you really think he's true? Can you really trust his promise? The devil started that all the way back in the Garden of Eden, and because he has no creativity, he continues to test us and tempt us in the same way even today. And for some reason, and we don't know why, God allows this. God doesn't always put a stop to it. That's why it happens. If God didn't allow it, it wouldn't be taking place. And so we can't, this becomes really difficult. Until you start to realize that maybe, just maybe, when the devil thinks he is tempting you, and not just me. This is actually how it is. When the devil is tempting you, there are times when God uses those temptations for his own purposes. He uses the devil, you might even say, against himself. The devil comes along to tempt you away from God, and God only uses that work to draw you closer to himself. Now, I want you to be very clear. It's a subtle distinction, but it's important. Temptation is bad. Temptation is not a good thing. But God can even use that to draw you closer to him so that when the time of trial and temptation arrive, we run to Christ. To hear the promises again, to receive the forgiveness of sins again, to, even when we fail when the, the test comes, God is there yet again to forgive. And yet, this is what the Christian life is like, facing trials, being tempted, being tested. So we want to look at a couple of examples here today from the scriptures that we did get in our readings this morning that talk to us about the test and the temptation. The first one we're going to look at is the testing of Abraham's faith. Here we're not going to deal with temptation as such because this is not the work of the devil. What we're going to see here is a very strange and difficult test that God gives to Abraham. And we see how Abraham handles it. Maybe we can learn something from it. But it is a strange thing for God to come and say to Abraham, hey, I want you to take Isaac and sacrifice him. Now, 
Sometimes people wonder, did Abraham make this up like Isaac didn't put the dishes away the night before and the next morning Abraham woke up and he's like, you know, God spoke to me last night. Let's go for a walk. That's not what happened. This is a legitimate test that's taking place here. But you need to understand that there's a bit of a history that Abraham has with God before this. Prior to this call to sacrifice Isaac, God had shown up to Abraham. He had chosen him by grace. He had declared him righteous, and Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. God came to Abraham and said, I'm going to make a promise to you. In your old age, you and your wife, Sarah, are going to have a child, and from that child will come many nations. From this child of promise, many nations will come, and Abraham, through your offspring, one of those descendants of this Isaac, this, this child, all the world will be blessed. He says, I'm going to give you the land of Canaan. I'm going to do all of these wonderful things for you. I will be your God and you will be my person and your people will be my people. And God makes all these wonderful promises to Abraham. He even takes Abraham and gives him a new name to sort of validate this. First, his name is Abram and God says, I'm going to change your name to Abraham. This is what the book of Genesis says. Behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but you shall be called Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. Just so you know, the addition of that H sound there in the Hebrew means many. So he is the father of many nations. So we have the promise. And guess what? God stays true to his word. The promise is realized. Isaac is born, the first one who will be sort of the beginning of the fulfillment of this promise. From him, the lineage is going to come, and all these nations are going to be blessed. And Abraham is loving it. Isaac grows up, and he's got his son and his father, and it's just a wonderful family situation. And one day, God says, this is great. I've been faithful to my promises, and now I've got an idea, Abraham. Why don't we take Isaac up on the mountain for child sacrifice? What? <laughs> doesn't make any sense at all. The promise is under attack. But it seems as if it's being attacked by God himself. And we read this and we start to ask all these questions. What is God doing? What will Abraham do? Is he going to sacrifice Isaac or is he going to disobey the voice of God? If he does sacrifice Isaac, what becomes of the promise? Abraham's faith in the promise is now under attack. Will God stay faithful or not? Can God or can Abraham trust this God? Now, you and I can try to imagine the angst going on in Abraham's mind with this trial. We have to imagine it, though. Because Moses, the author of Genesis, gives us no indication of what's going on in his mind. All we get there is that Abraham got the word from God, woke up, grabbed Isaac, got the sacrifice stuff, and off they went. Like, he just up and obeyed. God is testing Abraham's faith in the promise, but Abraham, it seems, will not abandon the promise. He will not abandon his faith. He will not abandon the idea that God will remain true to his word. And we get this as you read the text. It's really remarkable stuff that takes place here. Isaac says, where's the sacrifice, Dad? I've noticed something's missing here. And, God, and Abraham says, God will provide. He trusts God to do the right thing. Further, he says this, and this is one of my favorite texts. Abraham, as they're going, he turns to the young men who are with him, and he says, all right, you guys stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. Abraham says, we're coming back. Both of us 
are coming back from the mountain. Abraham confesses here that he believes God is not the sort of God that is going to allow the death of his son to stop him from keeping his promise. He's not going to allow the death of the son of promise to stop him from fulfilling his word. Hebrews says it this way, Abraham considered that God was able, God was able even to raise Isaac from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Abraham believed that the son of promise to be sacrificed would be raised from the dead because he didn't think God would go back on his promise. His faith in the promise was tested. But Abraham know that after the test is over, after the trial is complete, the promise will hold true. And Abraham is justified for his belief. God proves himself to be faithful to his word. God will not allow Abraham to sin and sacrifice Isaac. So they get up on the mountain, and God does indeed provide that ram, and a sacrifice is made uh, instead of Isaac. And Isaac and Abraham go back and have a laugh about it together, I'm sure. But what happens here is that God makes an even greater promise, where he says, I will continue to remain faithful to you, but I will be the one to provide the sacrifice. I will provide the sacrifice that will be offered that will ultimately be raised from the dead. And that promise finds its fulfillment in the arrival of Jesus. And so Jesus comes on the scene and he comes out of the waters of baptism. And there God makes a promise to Jesus. The Father makes a promise to the Son. You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. And immediately now we enter into the time of temptation. So there we have a test. Now we have temptation. Immediately, Mark tells us, the attack comes. God the Holy Spirit remarkably leads Jesus to the wilderness where Satan will put such a blessed promise under assault. We know this from the other Gospels. Mark gives us very little detail. But we know from the other Gospels that the baptism, God says, you are my beloved son. And in the desert, the devil says, prove it. If you really are the son of God, if you truly are who you claim to be, if you are in fact this, do what I say. Bow the knee to me. I'll give this all to you. I'll be a much better father to you than God will. I'll give you all of this. All you have to just do is bow down and worship. And the devil is hard at work trying to take Jesus away from God's will, away from God's purpose, God, away from the gift of that name, beloved son, but you see, there's a difference. God is testing Abraham's faith in the promise. The devil is trying to take Jesus away from the promise. And we know that Jesus endures this trial for 40 days. But make no mistake, this is not the only time Jesus is tested. In fact, throughout the rest of his three-year ministry, he's going to face trials and tests of all kinds. But the entire time, Jesus stays true to the word of God. He is, in fact, God's beloved son, his only son, given to die as a sacrifice for the salvation of the world. And Jesus knows that his sacrifice will bring you the forgiveness of your sins. He knows that his resurrection will gain for you eternal life so that you will be declared righteous and his resurrection will begin the new creation where all things are made right. It's the promise that God had made all the way back to Adam and Eve in the garden. He made it through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he makes that same promise 
to you and to me that Jesus will come and do this for you. It's a remarkable thing to realize he makes that promise to you and to me. Because we are the ones who have failed at the the, uh, test. The trials have come our way, the temptations have come, and we have given in. We have fallen short. We have turned our back on God and his will. But Jesus comes to save sinners. And Jesus stood firm. He knew God's word was true. He knew he would die and rise. And God proved faithful to his word. Jesus did, in fact, earn your salvation and forgive you all your sins by his dying and his rising. Jesus did, in fact, rise from the dead to begin the work of the new creation. We get a beautiful glimpse of that here when Jesus defeats de- the devil there in the wilderness and suddenly it says he's surrounded by the angels and wild animals. It's as, if, it's as if Jesus in his victory is reconciling heaven and earth and everything is being made right with Jesus Christ at the center. And there we get a glimpse of the eternity that Christ has won for us on the cross. We get a glimpse of that reward that awaits us, that crown of life laid up for us and purchased for us by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And make no mistake, Jesus did this all for you. He promised it to you in your baptism, where you were called God's own child. You are forgiven. You are beloved. Like Abraham and like Jesus, God has given you a name. He knows you by name. He calls you his own. You are baptized, a Christian, a child of God. Because God has made you this promise, because you have this name placed on you, you now know why your life is filled with temptations and trials. (laughs) Because the devil wants to take the promise away from you. And God might even be using these temptations to test you. And when you are in the midst of the trial, you are confronted with your own questions. Do you believe God will remain true to his word? Do you believe he will raise you up on the last day? Do you believe that he is here for you? And maybe you do. Maybe these tests and trials are accomplishing this and you're being strengthened in your faith through this time. You might not even realize how strong it's making your faith. Or maybe it's on the other side and you're not sure you still believe and you doubt because of God's strange way. Maybe it's even worse, like you fear that God doesn't love you because the trials that have come your way. But here's what you need to understand. The entire Christian life is one in which you will be tested and tempted. It's always this way. Faith is tested, the devil tempts, and this is the normal Christian life. But it is a life that has an unbreakable promise attached to it. You are baptized. You are a child of Abraham, a child of God, and Jesus Christ in his dying and his rising has overcome the devil for you, has overcome temptation for you, and has forgiven you for every time you have fallen in that temptation. Jesus passed the test test on your behalf and has given you all the credit for it so that whatever you face now, he has for you laid up in heaven the crown of life, Dear saints, stand firm, for this light and momentary affliction is nothing compared with the weight of glory that Christ Jesus has stored up for you. Amen. We pray. Heavenly Father, you give us great strength to face 
the temptations and the trials that come our way. But Lord, that strength is recognizing our own weakness and our own inability. Help us, Lord, in the midst of trials and temptations to turn to you for help, for healing, and for hope. Forgive us and lead us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This time I invite